Hello, and welcome to The Staffing Show, the only podcast that delivers tools, tips, and tactics from the staffing and recruiting industry's top executives and thought leaders. This episode is brought to you by Staffing Referrals, the only automated referral management platform chosen by smart staffing firms. Tired of wasting money on traditional job boards? Sick of reminding recruiters about promoting your referral program? Wish you could eliminate admin work spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews? That's where Staffing Referrals comes in. Imagine transforming your entire talent pool into digital recruiters on behalf of your company. Think about how happy you'll make your team by eliminating wasted time spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews. There's a reason that Staffing Referrals is one of the fastest growing software platforms in our industry. It's because staffing executives want to scale faster by automating recruiting processes. It's because with Staffing Referrals, you can actually see an ROI. And it's because our world is now more digital than ever and your candidates expect you to keep up. Don't get passed by the competition. Stop missing referrals and start recruiting smarter. Get staffing referrals and improve your tech stack today. To claim one free month, visit www.staffingreferrals.com show. That's staffingreferrals.com show. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today at The Staffing Show. Uh, super excited to be joined by Suki Sodi. Uh, Suki, why don't you go ahead and start off by just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into staffing. Okay. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh my God. Who am I and how did I get into staffing? As you can tell, I'm a Brit. Um, started my career back home in the UK. I now live in Canada, in Toronto, Canada. Um, how did I get into staffing? Honestly, I walked into a staffing agency and said, I need a job. I do not want to be sitting behind a desk. I do not want to be an admin. No disrespect. I don't want two days to be the same. And they said, well, have you thought of the recruitment industry? And I'm like, no, what, what does somebody in the recruitment industry do? And honestly, that was it. I joined a company called Primetime, which was the UK's largest private launch. Um, the founders there, oh, my God, they taught me. I stayed eight years with them, taught me everything I know. And you're probably going to ask me what they taught me, so I'm going to tell you. They <laughs> said to me, sort out your handshake. So never let anyone see you cry and learn to drink. <laughs> that was my <laughs> Seriously, I loved the eight years with those guys. Um, but that was my intro into staffing. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And, and uh, so in terms of what you're doing now, I mean, it looks like you've been running, uh, I think it was 20 plus years now of, yeah. uh, with uh, uh, Professional Selections, Inc. Tell me a little bit about the, your business and, and uh, what you guys do. For sure, for sure. So, as I said, I lasted eight years with, uh, with Primetime back home in the UK. Uh, burnt out, went to work for a normal agency so bored. I was like so bored. I think I lasted maybe seven or eight months. And I kind of set up professional selection at that stage, my own business. So up until 2005, I'd done data securities across the mid. So I'm somebody that believes in specializing. It, find your niche, 
and, and dominate it. So I was doing data securities um, across the mirror. So Network Associates, Veritac, those guys. Um, and how I actually ended up doing what I'm doing today is actually quite an interesting story. So back in 2004, I had a client that I'd launched internationally. So all their uh, EMEA team was executive hires were mine. And they're a Canadian company called Shredit. And the founder of that company said to me, you're never coming to any of our annual kickoffs. So, of course, sure, I'll turn up. So it was September 2004. I'm at one of their conferences. The founder's name was Greg Brophy, who's unfortunately passed away since then. And he offered me his North American business. And I thought, hmm, never thought of that. Um, so, I, of course, went back home, spoke to my husband. And we thought, well, should we make the move? Now, those of you that know Canada, we go knee deep in snow. <laughs> it's cold. So we had to come over at Christmas and see if we could cope with the snow. So we'd done that December, March 2005. I'd registered the business. April 2005, 5th of April 2005, I turned up, me and the kids had an acquaintance here and thought, oh, I got to start my business. And at that time, I flicked verticals. So although Greg brought me here, I decided to change verticals and I went into what's known as Rectorec. And you're probably wondering, what is that? And that literally is recruiting for the recruitment industry. So all my clients globally are staffing agencies, mm -hmm. search firms, and that's the lane I play in. That's amazing. And I actually, uh, you know, when we started connecting about this podcast, I, I went, was going through your website, reviewing things. I saw the rec to rec, uh, super intrigued. I had to actually go out and Google it and learn a little bit more and, um, tell me, dig in a little bit on that and tell me how, kind of, how do you guys work? How do you work with a staffing firm? Uh, why do staffing firms come to you versus doing them? They, they have a team of recruiters. I imagine. Oh, my favorite question. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite objection. Here's the thing. You're an expert in recruiting for X vertical. So say accounting and finance. Yep. You're not the expert in Rectorec. I am the expert in Rectorec. So one of the reasons clients come to me is multiple reasons, but one is their time is better spent recruiting in their niche for their clients. So that's one thing. Secondly, we have access to a passive talent pool. Yep. Think about it. Can you imagine if you were working at a search firm, staffing firm, and you put on LinkedIn whilst you're still employed, employed open to new opportunities, guys? Rightly or wrongly, our industry, were, the employer would react. So we've created a safe place. Um, and not only that, we we have the market intel. You'll be shocked at how many how many of my clients actually speak to us before launching in a new vertical and we come back to them with the market intel that's relevant to what they're trying to do. And off the back of that, during COVID, we launched the, we took our coaching practice international, our yep. coaching training practice. So again, working within the staffing industry. So I know who's looking. And of course, a yep. flip side of that, from a client perspective, we do a lot, a lot of hires. And our, our latest one, by the way, can I plug that I've recruited in 18 countries? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I was about to bring it up. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Let me plug that bit. So one of my global clients was last year looking to do a 
net new launch in Guyana, South America. Yep. But I didn't want the market to know until they'd hired the individual. They came to us and we were able to confidentially source that individual and they were able to announce their expansion when the time was right for them. So exactly the same reason your clients use you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of amazing to think about that. Uh, I haven't heard of staffing firm, uh, many staffing firms that are using a rec-to-rec recruiting firm like yourself. You'll be but, shocked. Uh, as you talk about it, it makes a lot of sense. And it's also when you think about the conversations I have with agencies, they're like, oh, we're thinking about expanding to this market, but they don't know what the salary rate is. They don't know how hard it's going to be to find the right people. They don't know if, what, what it's going to be like to find, source candidates in that market. And you probably are working with all of those people have that intel that you can then share with them. One of the things I spend, a, I find really fascinating is when people are trying to do an international launch into a new country. Yep. And they, they rinse and repeat their model. I'm going to stick with us Brits because that's what I am. We think just because our model worked in the UK, it's going to work in America, it's going to work in South Africa, it's going to work in Germany, it's going to work in Canada. No. <laughs> <laughs> I learned the hard way, by the way, right? Um, you gotta, you got to change that avatar. It doesn't mean you get away from the core values of your business. That's not what I'm talking about. Yep. But one of the interesting pieces, and, I, and I, I, it's, it's an area I absolutely love, new launches and change management. Um, it's really helping people understand, look, if you want to be successful in this territory, this is how you do business. Yep. Right? Um, and, of course, there's those that are insisting on their model and you still see that rinse and repeat kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, no, it's – honestly, it's the hardest vertical, vertical I've ever recruited in because here's the thing. My clients know all the tricks in the book. My candidates know all the tricks in the book, right? Yeah. They love it. I can't see me doing anything else now. Oh, that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. It must be and, uh, a punishment, right? <laughs> well, with that, I, I know you're clearly passionate about it. You, yes. I think in a conversation we had earlier, you'd mentioned something about a Facebook group where you're doing some yes. training. Yeah. Yes. So, of course, last year, wherever in the world you are, we were all hit with the pandemic. I don't know anybody else, but I thought we were going on lockdown for two weeks and this whole thing was going to disappear. Right. And then suddenly two weeks later, it's like, oh, my God, this is here to stay. So you can imagine doing what I do. Honestly, it broke my heart hearing how some companies in our industry were treating their staff right around the world. Staff were panicking. It was just people's lives were just being destroyed through no fault of their own. So what I'd done at that stage, and this is when I really pushed my coaching international, I set up, and can I plug it again, the Elite Global Recruiters Group Absolutely. on Facebook, and I set it up completely free. Every Wednesday, 10 a.m., I made a conscious decision. I was going to go into that group, go live, and do some form of coaching to help everybody help themselves. Um, and to be honest, I didn't know how that was going to turn out, but we're here we are over a year later. Um, every Wednesday, I'm in there. We're now at the stage where we're bringing guests, guests in and doing panels and things like that. Um, but that was why I set that up, because we all need a helping hand. But I do have one rule. The only, Actually, the only rule I have in that group, nobody is allowed to advertise their internal jobs 
I don't advertise my jobs. Got it. We created it as a safe place for every single person in our industry, regardless of where they are in their career. We have CEOs in that group. We have staffing specialists in that group. It's a place for learning. So that's kind of what that group is. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And uh, congrats to the success of it. It sounds like it's grown quite a bit and uh, mm-hmm. commitment to it and helping the industry, I think, uh, is something we can all get behind. It's been a, it's been, it's been a, hell, of a hell of a year and things uh, still are still pretty wild depending on where, where you're at. And um, I, uh, with that, um, kind of changing gears a little bit, what, um, what are some of the biggest challenges you see or hear from staffing agencies day to day right now? So it's interesting. I, I was, we were speaking about this in our team the other day. It's money. Everyone is throwing money at the problem now. And it's really interesting because during the pandemic, I know we're still in the pandemic, but over the last year, I see those companies that panicked and just got rid of everybody. And I was saying to those people, look, we're a critical, critical service. We just need to, yes, we just need to see how the land lies. Don't get rid of your staff because business can't come to a standstill. I'm sorry, McDonald's cannot run out of food, right? Starbucks cannot run out of coffee. You still got to get it there. Um, So we ended up, so those companies that let those people go because they wanted to save money are now desperately, desperately trying to hire. And they're throwing money at the problem. And honestly, that's not the problem. The problem is how you treated those individuals and how much damage you've done to your brand. So that's one thing we're seeing. We've seen certain regions, we've seen salaries over the last year increase by twenty, thirty thousand dollars Wow. I'll give you an example here. I won't name the company, but there's a one of the top three largest agencies in the world. They lost five members of their team within two weeks to the same company. And when they investigated, it was a company out of California, that's all I'll say, um, who actually just sent blanket emails to every single employee saying, we are hiring, whatever your salary is, we're going to give you a 30% increase. And that's what they've done. Wow. But you and I both know 30% increase 100% 100% increase on expectations, right? Yeah. Um, that's one of the biggest things we're seeing right now. Salaries are so misaligned. Um, and the other piece we're really seeing right now is people didn't think. It, so let me back up a second. One of the things we're really seeing right now, the companies that are really struggling to hire outside of the dollars and cents of those companies I talked about earlier that literally just panicked and said, we're going to pay our own money, our own wages, not yours, government subsidies, unemployment, whatever the case may be. Um, we're seeing they are really struggling to hire. And I'm seeing that in the US. I'm seeing that in the UK. I'm seeing that in South Africa. I'm seeing it here in Canada. There's the candidates, the candidates, this, this current pandemic is very, very different. Like, I'm showing my age here. I think I've been through four or five uh, recessions here, right? Yeah. 2008, 2001, then the 90s, right? Um, remember, you're probably too young to remember this, when job boards first came out, we were told we were going to become obsolete. 
No. Um, but this one is different. The brand is a the employee brand is damaged for a number of these large and small companies. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Uh you know, as you're talking about the the difficulty for finding talent right now, uh, you know, every year with Staffing Up, we do an annual report and that is always the top challenge. But this year, right now, I think it's actually uh, more pressing than it's ever been. I've, and I was hearing um, just anecdotally from a few different agency owners that their cost per application on Indeed had gone from like $4 to $15 uh, in one of the light industrial. And then we were hearing in healthcare space that it's like one and a half to two X. So we're hearing... Uh, Lots, lots of demand. Everybody's trying to throw money at the problem, throwing yeah. it on job boards. And it's it, to your point, people are going to work where they want to work. I, I think, uh, I mean, uh, potentially lifestyle. I mean, lifestyles have changed, and people like I don't want to go back and do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree, but it's also something else. Think about it. When the pandemic hit, we've all got mortgages to pay. We've all got kids or suck dogs or whatever it is we've got, right? So we've got a lifestyle that we're used to, um, a certain lifestyle that we're used to. And when companies, cash-rich companies, now I'm not putting the shareholder value hat on here. I'm taking that off. I'm just looking at it from an employee perspective. When suddenly, I mean, I can tell you, I know companies that pretty much got rid of their staff Okay, I'm thinking of a company here in Canada, global player. Government subsidies stepped in, and I have to say the government has helped big time. What they've done was they got rid of individuals so they could get government subsidies. This mm. particular company had not made money in Canada for multiple years. Wow. Guess what? They made profit last year, but the teams didn't get their commission, but the CEO did. Wow. The country manager did. So... Anybody that's listening, that kind of behavior is why, if you've done that, that's look to those kind of things. That's why you're probably not able to attract people. As I said, this one is different. This one has imp- impacted people's mental health, physical health, mental health, financial stability, everything. It, this is different. Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, it's been a wild ride, and uh, I think it's going to continue to be. So, what are um, with that? Uh, knowing that a lot of agencies made uh, different mistakes, and and um, you're trying to figure out how to get through it. Any advice that you have uh, in terms of next steps that you think agencies should be taking to rebuild or to to approach this differently? Yeah, no, absolutely. But what I do want to say is there was one particular company here in Canada, and I'm going to give them a shout out. They're called Agilus. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're privately owned, one of Canada's largest privately owned. And I admired what they'd done during the recession, uh, during the pandemic last yep. year. They had to let individuals go because of their market sectors and things like that, furlough and, and, and what have you. But what Craig Brown, the CEO, done there was he set up a separate website, separate, um, uh, and everybody had access to it. He made sure their benefits continued. And, you know, he really went way over and beyond. And every week he went into the um, the group that he had set up of all of these individuals, and he kept them updated of what is happening and what he was, what he as the leader was doing to bring them back, to help 
navigate the storm, right? So they're the kind of success stories I love, love sharing. We need more of them. So I wanted to take that opportunity to talk about that, but what can people do? Absolutely, you got to look at your money. You got to look at the dollars and cents, but that can't be the be all end all. It absolutely can't be the be all the end all. Um, you have one of two choices: you come and work with somebody like us, where we actually help to rebuild your brand. We're not going to lie for you. We're not going to mislead. But what we're going to help is help re-educate the market on the learnings and, and, and so forth. You don't want to do that. You don't want to spend that money. You need you need to spend that money with somebody because yeah. that's a massive exercise. Stop putting all these ads out that you're, you know, you're Canada's top 50 employer, US's top 50, UK, Germany, whatever. This day, it Right now, it means nothing. It's your actions. So that's one thing I would suggest. Secondly, uh, I would suggest you actually look back, if, you, if, if it's at all possible, those individuals that have left you since the market has returned. And depending on where you are in the world, the market's been returning since about September-ish. Um, those individuals that left you and went somewhere else, I would actually listen to their exit interviews. I would actually really listen to that. Yeah. See where that common thing, what, what the pattern is, right? What that theme is. Um, problem you're going to have is too little, too late. Yeah. Right? Too little, too late. Um, we're all talking about mental well-being and, and working from home and stuff like that. So I'm not going to bang that drum because there's a lot that's been said about that. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, and and take a look at your leadership team. Sorry, guys. Take a look at your leadership team. How many of them are physically? How many of your leaders? And I'm talking CEO. How many of your leaders are actually out there? working hand-in-hand hand with your frontline staff. I promise you right now, I don't care whether you're the world's top 10 largest agencies or you're in the 500s, I really don't care. I'm telling you right now, what I'm hearing from your employees, those executives that are genuinely, genuinely leading the charge, getting into the trenches, are the ones that are recovering a lot faster. It makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. We don't want to hear that sometimes, right? We sometimes, we're guilty as leaders of thinking, well, I'm the leader. Why would I go into a branch and fill an order? Right? We're guilty of thinking like that. Um, I promise you, start doing things like that, depending on where you are in the world. Start really listening to your employees and start doing that job. Walk an hour in their shoes. I, I second that so strongly. And I've actually, uh, I think I brought this up in other versions on this podcast, but just the idea of talking a lot about digital marketing or in the websites here. And it's like, go apply on your website, see what that experience is like, reach out to support, see what that experience is like. But I think getting in the actual role you're going to learn more. You're going to see what they're, you're going to understand what they're telling you and why they're saying what they're saying. And you're probably going to uncover new things that you can do in your business 
that are going to move you forward so much faster than any internal meetings you're having on a daily basis. 100%. If you've watched any of my training videos, I always say there is a voice missing in that boardroom table, and that is a frontline staff. I'm not saying go and bring everybody to your boardroom. I'm saying you go to them. Yeah. Put in the bullpen. I can think of two CEOs that do that. Um, um, and they, they, they do that. Now they're doing it via Teams, but in the past, they have made sure every quarter they go into a couple of different branches, right? And they get to hear fee seal, what's, feel what's going, what's good working, what's not working. Because um, especially if I just pick on Canada here, well, the government, a lot, a lot of government subsidies have come in. Okay, so one of the biggest challenges agencies here are having is getting light industrial workers to 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 go to work. The same in the U.S. It's it's wild. Yeah. So we're saying, oh my God, so many people are unemployed. Everybody needs jobs. Why are those ro- uh, roles not covered? It's easy for you and I to be sitting here outside of the branch saying, "Hang on a second, we have X unemployment. Yep. We have the orders here. We have X number of people in our database." You're not making enough calls, make more calls. But that's not the case. Yeah, it's uh, that, that is the number of light industrial companies I've talked to in the last few weeks that all of them are saying the same thing, which is it's so hard to get people back right now. And, uh, you know, I think that goes back to, you know, taking another level. But I think there's candidates who are like, I, I don't want to work with this. What's happening in professional services? Yeah. Sli- slightly different in professional services. Yeah. What's happening, what I'm seeing, I'll just speak North America for now, um, although it's everywhere. What I'm seeing is there's candidates have this fear of moving. Better the devil you know, right? So there is this fear of moving. Counter offers are like off the charts at the moment, right? So companies are looking at it and saying, oh, my God, oh, my God. Again, what I said, throwing, and we all, every single one of us know, do not accept a counteroffer. We, we hear all of that, right? Yeah. Um, the truth of the matter is people are accepting counteroffers. Companies are counteroffering. So if I look at technology, every region, every country I work in, they cannot get enough people in a tech space. Yep. So it's not just isolated to general staffing. Um, it's just a different version in prof- what I call professional services. Absolutely. And um, kind of jumping off from there, talking about the recruiters and the agencies themselves, uh, you posed an interesting question uh, to me the first time we met and talked. And uh, I thought it'd be a great conversation for our audience, which is uh, what would happen if the candidate was paying your invoice? Uh, and so I, I would kind of just like to hear your thoughts on that. And uh, I thought it was a great question that you brought to me. Yeah, I mean, first of all, disclaimer, most countries it's illegal. Let's just get that bit out there. I don't want anybody saying, oh, but Suki told us Charles to get into it. It's not what I'm saying. Um, what, I, what I'm suggesting, and this is what I'm doing with all my executive clients that are on my coaching side. It's a conversation I'm having. I don't care how big they're. I deal with your top 10 bottom thousand right the way through. And one of the conversations, one of the questions I've been posing to them is you're all talking about your unique, you know, your unique selling points and why you're so different and things like that. Yes, technology. I mean, if you haven't embraced technology, you're in trouble already, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is 
take a look at it and go back to your boardroom table with the voice that I'm talking about and just get your head of marketing there, head of HR, head of sales, head of delivery, head of this, 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 whatever the departmental heads are, and just do a strategy session on what would happen if the candidate was paying our invoice? Would our process still be the same? And I bet you the answer is going to be no. The answer is going to be no in a number of cases. Um, Pick on light industrial. I know agencies that take, okay, now it's kind of been done online, but even online it's an hour, hour and a half just in terms of registration process. There's no guarantee of a job at the end of it. Why would you, why would anybody take an hour and a half of their time to fill out an online application, do all of these tests, and then maybe they'll get a job at the end of it? Yep. Right? You look at, you you alluded to this earlier, uh, online um, applications. Upload your database, uh, upload your CV, beg your pardon, and now fill in all these boxes. What's your name? What's your address? What's your exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and remember, our clients do this. Why the hell are we doing it? We're supposed to be the experts here, right? Um, so you'd look at that type of thing. We all hear about ghosting. Go, forget anywhere else. Two places you should go to is LinkedIn and just look at some of those posts, what what candidates are saying. I swear, I think I see at least two or three times a week a, um, (laughs) I won't use the word I was going to (laughs) use, moan (laughs) about the treatment that the recruitment industry has given them. And what I want to add to that bit, look at how your internal staff are responding to those comments. It's actually quite shocking. It's actually quite shocking some of the response recruiters give to these individuals. Instead of showing compassion, empathy, and things like that, they're turning the table while saying, you're just as bad, you're this, you're that, you're that. The whole audience is reading that. But outside of that, um, go and look at glass doors, right? Now, I don't care what anybody says. If there are... 50 reviews and one review saying you're great and the other 49 are disgraceful. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Yep. There's something something going on there, right? You look at the process in terms of we allow clients to not reply, not give feedback after an interview for days and days and days. That's not... If the candidate was paying our invoice, would we allow the client to do that? We wouldn't. Yeah. We wouldn't, right? We Something else, candidates, I mean, now nobody's traveling. Well, it depends where you are in the world. Um, but sometimes candidates are, um, like I was in, in the group, somebody posted the other day that um, – They'd set up an interview. The particular hiring manager wanted a face-to-face interview. And this is just last week, I think it was. Oh, wow. So they say... I didn't know those were were happening anymore. (laughs) Yeah, well, they are. They are. In certain parts of the world, they're happening because not everybody's in the shutdown that we are here. Yeah. 
Um, so, yeah, so the candidate had left home 7.30 in the morning for a 9 a.m. meeting. The person arranging the meeting had had spoken to the candidate, candidates on their way and things like that. Candidate arrives in the lobby 20 minutes before the interview. Fantastic. Right? Yep. The hiring manager at 10 to 9 tries to cancel that meeting. Now, if that candidate was paying that invoice, would that meeting have got cancelled? Would we have allowed a client to cancel the meeting at that stage? That's before we start looking at this mass emailing, if you've watched any of my videos, I absolutely think there is a place for automated emails and things like that. It's not what I'm talking about. But really, if the candidate was paying the invoice, would we just be doing mass emailing or would we be looking at it to make sure that there is an alignment of relevance? Because all we're doing is churning and burning, churning and burning. And that's before we start talking about the engage, the actual physical engagement process and the post-care because one of the things I teach in um, my coaching practice is, yes, we have targets and, and, and what have you for client-candidate attraction. Then we have the, the process management. Then the good old dollar sign, right? How much are you invoicing? Yep. But we really don't have the long-term metrics on success. So if your candidate was paying that invoice, would you just dump them after 30, 60, whatever your um, replacement term is, right? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You'd stay in touch with them. And you certainly wouldn't go back and head, headhunt them again after they're outside of their guarantee period. <laughs> I think the, uh, I mean, a lot of, uh, and I think we're transitioning away from it as an industry right now, but the uh, definitely feel like there's a, historically has been a big push for really transactional focused interactions and trans- and and it's kind of funny is you do hear about the ghosting, uh, but then you think about, well, how did you treat, like, how, how, how were they treated? Do they feel like they were respected and like they should show up? because you were communicating to them clearly throughout the process? Or do you, do they feel like you were just, you know, pushing that as hard as you could to get what you wanted? And then the second wasn't there, you moved on. So I think there's a, uh, you got to have that reciprocity, build, you know, build trust with the candidates. But here's the thing. That's not the consultant's fault. That is management's fault. Yeah. That's them enforcing the KPIs, right? And, 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 and micromanage and, and making sure you have this, um, this process where everybody is working the same way. Now, don't get me wrong, the service level of service needs to be consistent. That's not what I'm talking about. But I, here's an interesting fact. I done um, a experiment in my team, Q1. I completely flicked KPIs on its head and conflicted into a coaching and KPI, and we really tracked, because I want to get away from managing my people. Yep. Right? But I want to make sure they've got the tools and, and all that kind of good stuff. My One of my guys through this has built over 100K before he, within two weeks of being in May. Wow. 
right? And people say to me, Suki, because I share this in my Facebook group, right? People say, why do you share it? Aren't you scared people are going to headhunt him? Great. You can't force somebody to stay. Yep. Right? So I've got to practice what I preach. And the reason, the reason I'm talking about this is you can't, like, I'm a firm believer in KPIs. Don't get me wrong. Right. But you've really got to customize those KPIs. You've got to create the right behaviors. And I promise you, if you if you focus on it for three months, really do the hard work over three months, you are making your life easier, so much easier. Because now what you've truly done is given the individual their metrics to be successful. I'm not saying you change the end results. You suddenly start to say, well, I'll only, ex- great, you can, you're only capable of doing 10 grand. I'm only going to ask for you 10 grand. It's not what I'm talking about, right? So I'm not saying change that metric. What I'm saying is if you want to build high-performance sales teams, invest in the three months, because I always look at it and say, look at your business as um, your fiscal year as 12 weeks. Because we all know if you have, if, if month, end of month six, you're not on budget or you're drastically behind budget, forget it. <laughs> like, unless there's a Hail Mary, you're not hitting those targets, right? Okay. So, so I always say to all of my clients, look at it as 12 weeks. And what you want to do is get as much as your budget, your annual, each recruiters have as much of their annual budget front loaded. Because what that allows is that allows time for, we all have a bad month. Yep. We all have a bad month. We all like to go and sit on the patio drinking wine every Friday afternoon, right, when the sun shines. We want to be able to, we want to, be able to do that. Um, and it also, what it does for your um, employees' perspective, it maximizes their personal income. They're able to look at it and say, you know what? I actually want to do 200,000 this year and exactly the activity I need to do to do 200,000 instead of you having to crack the whip there. I mean, it is just the way way successful agencies, I don't care whether you're big, small, mid-sized, it really doesn't matter. The ones that I'm seeing that are owning their market are those that are saying, okay, the way we've always done stuff, yes, parts of it is good, but we've got to look at it. One of those things is look at it from a candidate perspective. And if you want to retain, retain your staff, stop beating them up. Stop expecting $300 a week. I don't know anyone that's doing $300 a week. If they're doing it, they're faking it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and with that, uh, how do you, so you're training recruiters, you're training executives at agencies, uh, but how, how do you go about identifying uh, the top recruiters or what metrics do you look at? Uh, is it more soft skills or any of that that you're willing to share? Sure. No, sure. So from an executive perspective, I won't work with somebody that says to me, and I've literally, and they call it arrogant, uh, whatever the word. It, and yeah, maybe it's arrogant, but I'm proud of it. Um, I won't work. I won't work with a company that is being led by an individual that wants to sit in their ivory tower. I'm sorry, you got to be the vision 
And you've got to demonstrate the behaviors you want others to see in others, right? It's not cliche, but it, it really is true, right? So if you're sitting there um, saying, okay, rolling out these new KPIs, I was speaking to a really senior executive um, yesterday. Yesterday was winter? Yeah, yesterday. Um, and he was telling me he's been in, in this particular company since September, October. He had 10 interviews to get in. And by the way, on one of them, the HR person, it was a Zoom interview, HR person stopped to put her groceries away. I kid you not. <laughs> and he was left there online on camera. <laughs> she put well, I, was, I was just about to do that, Suki. Yeah. I was just, I've got the grocery no, I'm, Okay, <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> and this is not a small agency. A big global player. But anyhow, so he still accepted the job. Still accepted the job. But he was telling me yesterday the only time he had spoken to his country manager was as a last stage of the interview process. Since then, the only communication he has from his line manager is to tell him how crap his region is and how he needs to tighten up on the KPIs and things like that. So individuals like that, I can't help them. Right. We're just not aligned. But those individuals that are looking to truly, truly want to go through change management, truly want to create a high performance sales culture. Well, that's right up my alley. What do I look for in the individuals? I look for the desire to be successful. OK, I look. So when I'm doing so, some of my clients say, look, can you coach one on one? And some are in a group setting, right? So there's the, there's the balance of two. But even with the group setting, I always make sure I speak one-on-one with the individual because I need them to really tell me, are they lying about their numbers? Because if they are, they can tell me. I'm not going to go back and repeat it. I just need to know what the baseline is. Yep. Um, and what I look for are those individuals, I don't care whether you're getting it or not, are you trying? Because you and I both know, it's like riding a bike. The first time you ride a bike, you're going to fall off. Second time, third time, fourth time. Fifth time, you're like, whoa, okay, I managed to get 10 yards before I fell off. Next time, it's 20 yards, you know, that type of thing. Um, so I really look for those people that are going to hold themselves accountable and, and, and just really be vulnerable. And I, when I mean vulnerable, be prepared to say, Suki, I don't get this. I don't get this, right? And those that, I, and, and don't get me wrong, we sometimes end up with those that are just um, faking their numbers and the results don't, don't turn up. Yep. Right? They don't turn up for some of the sessions, um, something. So, so those individuals, well, they've disconnected from the business already. So, yeah, so to ask your question, so what are some of the KPIs that, um, so let me answer that one as well. So what are some of the KPIs that I think we should be tracking? Again, it depends on your business. Yep. But if I just stick with the candidate side just for ease sake, your, for lack of a better word, your social media output. Okay. I don't care what you, I mean, different verticals have different platforms, whether it's Twitter, whether it's email, whatever, right? And then we look at, Unique candidates. Got to look at unique candidates. And then you got to look at 
the process. I 100% agree with the process. Um, but then you've got to look at the post-care. I'm not talking three months. I'm not talking, you know, a lot of people cross their fingers and say, oh, God, yes, they're out of, you know, they're out of their guarantee period. It's not what, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. So those are the kind of buckets that we look at. And, and, and the aim always is to be able to step out, hand the individual, and they know, okay, I'm able to look at my desk. Oh, crikey, I better get more of that part done or I better, oh, I'm lacking here. I need to now focus my energy there. So people are able to look at it and say, what do I need to do to be successful? Not hit a metric. It's not that's, those days are gone. That's how I was trained. Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I've seen the industry change over the last. Time. I'm sure you've seen uh, had more experiences and examples of this, but shifting away from the every recruiter's got to do 100 cold calls a day. No, I can tell you there is one of the world's largest agencies, 125 still a week. Still holding that. Oh, still holding to it. And oh. when I obviously they're not one of my clients, but when I talk to a senior executive there and I ask the question why. And it kind of on some crazy level, it makes sense. They have however many thousands of people in North America. If everybody is doing a targeted for 125 activity, and let's say half of them lie, yeah, half actually hit it, they still hit their shareholder numbers. They still hit their budgets. And I just look at it and I shake my head and I'm like, how about just have everybody tell you the truth? How about having 70% of your um, employees actually hitting the right numbers that are achievable? I I would also add to that. I I think the uh, shifting away from activity focus KPIs to outcome based. I mean, I, I, the best salespeople, a few of the best salespeople I've seen in the software side of the business, they send fewer messages. I I always say it's uh, the, you know, shifting away from shotgun to sniper, sniper, sniper beat shotgun every day. And, and, And they would spend 45 minutes crafting each message, but their response rate was unreal at every executive. And they were, very thoughtful and intentional. And it was actually, if you were holding that same person to a email or outreach metric that wasn't outcome focused, you are going to make them a bad salesperson because they're not going to be able to spend the time on those thoughtful engagements. So I, I feel like that's why can, that's why I say, think of it from a candidate perspective. Now you're receiving that same email. And sometimes instead of hi, Suki, it says, hi, Jennifer, because yeah. somebody forgot to change that, right? Yeah. <laughs> somebody forgot to change that. Um, but, but, but you're right, but not only that, you, you're sh- like numbers tell a story. I'm a firm believer in numbers tell a story, but you can manipulate those numbers to, to tell, tell whatever story you want them to. So the key to this is getting to the truth of that story. Right. And then getting to a truth of story. And as a manager, we haven't even talked about the manager part, but as a manager, really bringing out your coaching leadership style. And I, sorry to say, not many, we don't as an industry. As an industry, we're either the commanding leadership, do as I say, 
or with a pace setting leadership. So what that is, and, and I'm guilty as hell because yeah. I was always told this is the way to go. Leader sets the pace, da, 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 right? And you're expecting everybody to keep up with you. And if people don't keep up with you, you're a failure, right? It's yeah. recognizing that some people have a different style. So I'm fully aware that half your audience listening to me right now is saying she is batshit crazy. Don't <laughs> I'm fully aware of that, <laughs> right? I'm like, Marmite, not for everybody, but that's okay. And the same applies to these KPIs and leadership style and things like that. We've got to recognize that not every candidate is right for us as a business. And even harder, although we said if a candidate paid the invoice, not every client is right. And that's okay. And when you get comfortable with that, when you have a sales team that is truly embracing that, truly um recognizing and giving themselves permission to say no to a client, your average, you're, you're going to secure high, high fee paying clients because you found your tribe, right? You're not going to have that high metrics cracking the whip type of environment. Why? Because you're working with those clients that are aligned with you as a business, right? So you may have, and, and, you know, and those clients are not looking for the cheapest provider. I'm not cheap. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. I set my value. You set your value. Everybody should be setting their value. But your value has to represent what the client's getting back in return. Else, you know what? All you're going to do is churn and burn, and it's, it's a race to the bottom. Can you imagine a world where we as an industry said to a client, sorry, Mr. Klein, I'm, I'm, I'm not working at 6% globally. I'm not, work, I'm not filling that role, at perm role at 10%. Oh, my God, nobody should be getting out of bed for that. Nobody should be getting out of bed for those kind of rates because if you actually sit down, and there's always somebody that's going to do it cheaper, I get that. I get that. But when was the last time a client said to, uh, to you or anybody in the audience, ask yourself, when was the last time the client said, you know what, I'm going to pay you 10%, but I only want 10% worth of value. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you half, half the uh, commission and you can uh, do half the work, right? Is that? <laughs> Never. 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 Yeah. I'm all about, hey, adding value to the client. And that's where technology comes in. And then that, that's a different conversation. Yeah. Right? Um, but yeah, we have to start respecting ourselves as an industry because if we don't respect ourselves, how do we expect our clients to? And we're a phenomenal industry. I mean, I, I haven't seen last year's numbers yet, but, you know, the U.S., world's largest, largest economy, if I remember correctly, floating around $180 billion or something was the spend. Canada yeah. was something like 13, 9, 10, 13 billion, something like that. Um, UK was something like 50, 60. Um, we are a critical service. We are an important service. And AI is never replacing, well, certainly not in our lifetime, 
um, is going to be able to replace us. And those clients that are going to pay the higher value, the ones that are getting the human service. Doesn't mean you don't go with AI. It's not what I'm talking about. Um, But the clients that are going to spend the money with you and pay the higher fees are those clients that are getting that human service. I'm not talking answering the phone at midnight. That's not what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's uh, great insights there. And um, Suki, I know we're kind of rounding out the the end of the podcast. So I'm going to jump into the kind of personal questions, a little bit about your background, kind of the, the, the quick hit questions. Uh, very excited to have this conversation with you. I think, I don't know if I remember it exactly, but I do remember when I read your LinkedIn profile, the first sentence said something about being a adrenaline junkie and celebrating <laughs> every win, and uh, which is part of the reason I'm excited to hear, hear how you answer some of these questions. So um, with that, I will go ahead and jump in. Yeah, uh, so the, in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Oh, crikey that I don't know everything, that I've got to keep learning. Um, And it's okay to say no, right? It's okay to to say no. It's okay to say no, Mr. Client, you're not aligned with me. Um, The one I'm working on really, really hard is to say no to that last glass of wine. <laughs> haven't, haven't mastered that one quite yet. <laughs> uh, I, I will second that one as well. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, what is the one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? Uh, could be an investment of money, time, energy, etc. Okay, that one's a kind of easy one. Investing in a coach, being a total, total, one hundred percent game changer. For me, and the other one is, you know, for relaxation and mental well-being, we're supposed to do yoga and things like that. Yeah, I invested in kickboxing. <laughs> oh I my god, love it! Weightlifting and kickboxing. So, th- not that we again in Canada being in lockdown, we've not not been able to do that. And climbing, so awesome. really spending a large chunk of money every month to be able to do that has been a game changer for me. That, that's great. That seems like a great, great activity. I think I actually came across a picture of you kickboxing when I was uh, doing my research. So that's, yeah. Uh, that's- yeah, that Hung Lee done um, a, um, yeah, he made me do the top 20 questions and I wasn't sure whether I was going to let people see that much craziness, right? But I done it. <laughs> Um, so what are, uh, what are the bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise? Just send the CV, (laughs) send it, just call them, just send the CV, just, 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 just tell them they have to go. Um, yeah, just ring them up and tell them we've got a candidate. Tell them that, yeah, we've got a short list of candidates on their way. Got to stop all of that. And that comes from leadership comes from leadership. We've got to start being honest with our clients and candidates. And it goes back to what I said earlier. It's okay to say no. It's okay to say I don't know. It's better in most instances. Yeah. We're fearful (laughs) of it, right? Yeah. Fearful of it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, And what is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? Okay. That one's really easy. Um, John Maxwell, Failing Forward. 
Going forward, I'm writing that one I down. Give that to, I suggest that to every single person I coach. Don't care what level you are. Actually, I was given that book by one of my clients, a global CEO. Um, he's the one that introduced me to that book. Honestly, I read that book multiple times. It reminds you that there's something to learn. Like I've probably said something here that's going to upset somebody, right? I just don't know what I've done, what I've said yet. I'm sure I'll hear about that. Either, you know. (laughs) I'm sure we're going to hear about it at some stage, right? It's like looking at it and saying, okay, what have I got to do? Have I got something to learn from that? Okay, great. Thank you. Fair point. No, nothing to learn from that. Move on. Yep. But that's, I, I seriously, I recommend that to everybody. And if I can have a second one recently introduced and the names, um, the author skips my mind. I literally just finished reading it at the weekend. Um, Pigs Wrestling. Pigs Wrestling. All right. Lindsay Somebody. Lindsay Somebody at Spy. Um, great book. All right. I'm, I've got two that I'm adding to my list. I've, I've not, uh, not heard of either of those. So that's, that's fantastic. Uh, failing Forward is a great book. And the Failing Forward also follows perfectly the next question, which is how has a failure or apparent failure set you up later for success? Oh, wow. I should have really rehearsed the answer to this, shouldn't I? Yeah. <laughs> I should have figured these were going to come. Um, how is it... Okay, so, so, many years ago, uh, when I was trying to set up the rec to rec as I said earlier, agencies don't practice what they preach. And I had so much negativity from the market because suddenly I'd created a space for their staff to go to confidentially looking for another job. Yeah. And long, long story short, um, I was working on a particular CEO search for a chairman. And when the chairman left to go on holiday, the, the individual that he was replacing got wind of it. So he rang me up um, demanding to know what searches his, the chairman had put him on. And, of course, I, I refused and all the rest of it. And it ended up with... In fact, the, uh, the, the most abusive, com- one-sided abusive conversation. So at the time, I remember th- saying to my husband, what the hell have I done? <laughs> I, 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 I can't cope with these kind of people, right? And I, I was really, really shocked. I thought, hey, we do that for a living. You do that with your clients, right? Yeah. Um, but what I learned from that was how to really stand up to a powerful CEO and how to go to a global chairman and represent, replay the situation, bring him up to speed on what had happened and things like that without bursting into tears. And I have to say, don't get me wrong, I did cry after that call, but not during the call. But it <laughs> brought me back to what I said about um, when I first worked, started working in recruitment, never let a client see you cry. So I actually... And that, and that taught me such an important lesson that even though we as an industry move people around all the time, people are fearful of losing their job and, and they're going to they're gonna react from a place of 
fear. So it's not necessarily targeted at you. So to answer your question, um, full circle, just not to take everybody seriously. Not to take everybody seriously. Just keep going. Stay in your lane. Keep doing what you're doing. People are going to try and crash into you, going to try and take you out. Slow down if you have to. I love it. Love it. And uh, with that, um, are there any, uh, that's kind of the end of the questions I had for today. I've really enjoyed having you on. Uh, Any closing comments or thoughts that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah. You know what? For every single person that's listening to this, doesn't matter where you are in the world, the market is hot. In fact, some areas it's burning hot. Clients are hiring. They're just not hiring through you. So you've got to look at it. You've got to say, why are they not hiring through us? What is it? Maybe it's the wrong team. Maybe it's training. Maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's, maybe it's your pricing. Who knows what that is? Um, but the market is burning, burning hot. But also, you've got to invest in your staff. Right now, if I look at it, why are people leaving? Money, yes, absolutely money helps. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But rarely do we have people say we're only going to move for X amount. They're leaving the companies for one of two reasons, for the most part. Company, how they treated them during COVID, during the pandemic over the last year and things like that, unreasonable expectations. Um, That's one of them. And secondly, it's they feel their career is not going to grow there. They feel they're not... They're, they're not being invested in. So start, start looking after your staff because your competitors are going to hunt them, headhunt them. I'm going to headhunt them. I'm sorry, right? <laughs> That's what we will do, right? Um, so make it and let your guys take the call. If people, are, people don't want to stay with you, let them go. Who wants to be in a bad marriage? Com- completely agree. And as you were talking about that, reminded me, I, I'm probably going to butcher this quote, but it was the uh, something along the lines of, what if we invest in our people in training and they leave? And then the response is, well, what if we don't and they stay? <laughs> yeah. so tr- oh, oh my gosh. It's, it's so true. Yep. Absolutely true, right? Because if you invest in people, they're going to likelihood is they're going to stay. But even if they only stay two years, I'm telling you, that first placement has two, three, four times made the cost of training. You've, you've recouped it. Yep. Right? And not to mention all the added bonuses and the morale going up and all the rest of it. You're right. We don't invest enough um, in our internal training. Listen to the advice you're giving to your clients. Then take it yourself. Right? Because we tell all, everybody tells their clients, oh, Mr. Client, you need to retain your staff and this is how you do it. And we'll do behavioral tests, we'll do exit interviews. Genuinely do it yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. I think that's a great, great closing comment. And Suki, I really enjoyed having you on. Everybody that's listening, to go out and join, uh, check out her Facebook group. Uh, I'm, the name is escaping me Elite right now. Elite Global Recruiters. Elite Global Recruiters on Facebook. Check that out. Um, and thank you so much for the insights and the conversation today, Suki. Really had, enjoyed having you on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening to The Staffing Show. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at staffinghub.com to never miss an episode. Until next time.